Hello there and welcome back into another edition of Trailblazers. I'm Ricky Swanell and my guest today is one of the country's leading coaches, a double ANZ Premiership netball winner with the Central Pulse, a former Silver Ferns assistant and now a specialist coach for the Fiji Pearls for their Netball World Cup campaign coming up later this year. Yvette McCausland-Jury is also an educator, co-founding Manakuta School in Palmerston North. Yvette, kia ora, welcome into Trailblazers. How are you? Yeah, more than that. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Well, so, you, you know, you prepare for these things and you do a bit of a Googling, and I always associate you with Palmy or Wellington, but you're originally from up north, and I had to Google Tangiti, Tangiti is that is that the right way of saying it? I was like, where is this place? Yeah, Tangiti Yes, so I was born in Whangarei, and then we resided in this in a very small community in Tangiti which is halfway between... Whangarei and Dargaville, and so ended up heading high school was in at Dargaville High School. So when, like, when you say small community, like how and what, what are we talking scale here in Tangatiroria? Yeah, well, the scale was we've got one small school there, and that goes from oh gosh, I even get my years mixed up <laughs> now, but anyway, five years of age, yep. through to um, intermediate. So you know, generally 12, 12, 13 years of age, and then from there you head into the high school. So. Yeah, very small, five classes, um, you know, all, all of you catch little buses and all sorts of things. So my parents drove school buses and had two other jobs on the side. And we had a um, yeah, little small farm, not only 30 acres, and a bit like the good life, really. Yeah, um, so what's the lifestyle? Kind of yeah, yeah. What's your group, did you say? Kumara and two calves and... Yep, you had the old calf club at school and all those really neat experiences. And um, everybody, you know, everybody played in the netball team because we only had enough girls to all be in the netball team. And the cricket team needed to be a combination of boys and girls to make up the numbers. So, yeah, look, a really cool lifestyle. Did you get um, Did you get some ribbons for your calves? I got um, highly recommended. I never really got the top ones, but... Um, and cooking's not a real strength, so I, I was okay. You had to design something, so I designed a car which was made out of a carrot, so that was quite creative. <laughs> it sounds, what sort of lifestyle was it as a, as a way to grow up? I guess like you, for people that grow up in the cities and stuff like that, you sometimes see these, these country small-town lifestyles and, and the way it sets kids up is, is something really special. Yeah, and I think it is. I mean, we actually grew up without power for quite a number of years, and so you had the oil lamp and you played lots of board games and cards and when it was dark you went to sleep and when it was light you got up. So um, lots of that stuff. I mean, at the time, honestly, you think you're a bit impoverished and it doesn't feel like a great amount of fun. We headed off to um, boarding school and, and Dardwell. High school had a, uh, a boarding place there and we thought that was amazing. So it's a, it's a great life. I think you're part of a, a community, even though you're spread in terms of space you're tight in terms of lots of things that go on. There was a community sports centre that was built there of which everybody played a part in. Our parents, you know, people sold cows and or, <laughs> you know, did all sorts of things to provide money. Um, Dad's a builder, so he helped out in different places. But, yeah, I think you just become part of a space and lots of resilience and lots of opportunities that maybe at the time you take for granted but are quite different. I think you you said you, said you ended up going to, to boarding school in Dargaville, but did you also do, did you end up going to Auckland in your later years of high school as well? I did. Yeah. In my last year, year 13, I um, went from Dargaville High School and I went to Rangitoto College in, on the North Shore and that was largely driven, track and field was my number one sport. And 
so we didn't have a track. Uh, we had a track, of course, but it was a grass track. So we, um, yeah, I was really keen. I was still playing netball as well, but really keen to see what that, you know, might do for me in terms of career and ended up uh, qualifying for the World Juniors in 1990 and headed over to Bulgaria of all places and funnily enough they didn't have the, the track or the toilet area on the warm up track wasn't completed and nor was really the stadium in Bulgaria and when you look at the place like Plovdiv which is the capital there um, so you know third world in so many ways mm. so I was probably set up quite well because we had had a long drop so I didn't think anything <laughs> of it but <laughs> um I, yeah, I was kind of carrying on as per normal, but for some people it was really quite stressful. <laughs> Go to the long drop toilet before you compete. I can imagine that. Yes, I, that would I would be quite stressed by that situation. Give me a good, <laughs> good. Give me a good flushing loo any day. <laughs> I guess a lot of Northland kids, we do see it, end up doing their schooling in Auckland, which in a way obviously is great for them and for them, but it does take them out of the region. Do you always still have that affinity, though, with Northland and as a, a kind of special part of the country? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's a real challenge. And when you look now, um, nothing much has changed in the sense that to get competition at that next level, uh, you have to move. And Auckland's mm. obviously the closest place to do that. And so I did travel quite a bit. Like I was playing a bit of netball and, and I'd head down on weekends. And, and so there was a huge amount of travel just to take the next steps. It was a huge amount of travel just to play for Northland. We would travel uh, three, you know, two nights a week and head up to Kaiko here, which was somewhat the middle. But you're still looking at an hour and a half, two hours. And funnily enough, when I moved to the Manawatu, we did the same um, for the Flyers. We travelled over to Whangnu. So again, I didn't think much of it. It's just it is what it is if you want to take those opportunities. But the cost of taking opportunities for, you know, young people and for Fano in the north it doesn't make it easy. Um, so yeah, I always think about, you know, how how do you get a chance to give back? And I think while you're participating and competing and doing what you do, um, you hope that you're representing them in some way, and that hopefully through that people will find, um, you know, hey, there's a chance, there's a way if I want to make it happen, but it isn't easy. Mm. So your athletics career, you said you're obviously very good to, to be going to junior world championship level. So what was your event? What what did you specialise in? Well, yet again, it was a bit of a mixed bag. But <laughs> when I was there, so I did a bit of heptathlon type stuff. I enjoyed the jumps, the throws, all sorts of. Um, but in the end, it was largely the sprint. So over there, it was um, four by one and 100. And we did a lot of, lot of events in the lead up. Um, as a team through through London and the States. And, uh, yeah, just, I don't know, track and field, I think it's one of those pieces when you've been an individual athlete, you can't hide the time or the distance, it says it all. And it's a little bit different when you're in a team environment because there's, you know, yes, you get assessed on numbers, but it's not quite the same. So I really enjoyed having, I guess, that ability to be answerable to yourself and accountable to performance. I've talked to a few athletes in other sports who started out in athletics and they always talk about the grounding and the background as a, as a mm-hmm. pro that it gave them, um, I guess, that resilience and self-reliance that they can then take into a team. What did it give you? What do you see from athletics that it you know, has given you and other athletes that you've since worked with? Yeah, I think for me the, the piece that I really enjoyed about it is the fundamentals of movement. So the ability to, you know, to run and, and all of those things that you take for granted become such a big base in terms of strength and conditioning. You were involved in weight training early. 
um, in terms of development. So all of that technique work, I thought that was a really great grounding. But the bit that I loved is because it's so small and you're really competing, you know, against the same people, you become quite a tight network of of um, friends. Even though you compete, other people you hang out with as well because you kind of can't go and sit on your own the whole day at the track. So you compete against each other, but you're really great mates. So I enjoyed that part about it, that you can compete and you, you can be, you know, you learn that humility and the grace when you, you do well and when you don't do so well and things stay the same. Mm. How were you funded to get to somewhere like Bulgaria, which it wouldn't have been an easy trip, I wouldn't have thought of. As you say, if you get there and there's still long drops um, back, yeah. back then. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. And, and again, that fell um, largely on, on Fano. So, mm. yes, we sold, we um, had calves and sold calves and did all sorts of things. There were the good old raffles and as a community, um, people would run things. I remember these. In Pai here, they put on a activity, and I had to um, sprint against people on the on the <laughs> sand. It was a rather long day, actually, sprinting up and down. For everybody wanted to put in money and race me, so um, you did all sorts of things. And my parents were, yeah, wherever there was a, an opportunity, sport was massive for us. Um, and four girls, so I was one of four. The second, we all played a lot of sport. Uh, and you could have very little from a material perspective, but we had huge number of opportunities, and they found a way. And when I look now at the cost of, you know, what it takes to get your kids into sport and to maintain that, um, it's yeah, they they gave up a lot. And in fact, my siblings gave up a lot mm. so that I could have opportunities. Man, your your community must have been so proud to have you know this kid from uh, small rural Northland going to the world athletics champs. Yeah, it sort of seems bizarre, doesn't it? And I guess that's one of the great things about small communities. They just get on and do. They don't have an expectation. And you're still the same person when you come back. You, you know, nothing changes as such. So I think that's one of the pieces that probably is very much um, set you up in terms of being in performance spaces. And I'm like that now. You know, sometimes it drives players mad. But <laughs> I don't get too fired up about when we do well and I don't get too upset when we don't do well. I tend to stay pretty much the same and I'd like them to think that, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what happens, they're, they're not bad people for whatever happens and um, I just ride the same wave as if mm. it uh, was just trickling into the shore. So I think being in country spaces is like that. You know, the next day comes and there's work to do and you get on and you carry on. Yeah. Uh, was netball, what, so you're, obviously your athletics is, is peaking at this stage, but so was netball always a bit of a side hustle? Because you, I mean, you're New Zealand under 21, so it must have been in a similar sort of time frame as well. Yeah, I was always playing netball at school. My mum was our coach when we were in at Tangaparodia Primary, and so, and she was still playing. She played rec netball for Northland. So I think for me, I liked the fact that I could do both. I played basketball and Dad coached us for basketball and he'd been in New Zealand Rec in his day. So we just kind of, whatever we could do, we fitted it in. And uh, you can't get in trouble when you're busy with sports. So that was always uh, one of the great things. Um, but yeah, I, I kept playing netball. I just took the one year oh, somewhat out of the game when I moved to Rangitoto College. I didn't actually play for school. I played in the club team, um, which Commodore's on the North Shore yeah. and that was led by Marcia Hardcastle, and, and so all the Hardcastle girls were in that group. and So I played a bit of club netball there, but at that point, track and field was my focus. And one of the aims was making the World Juniors, but um, trying to also make the Commonwealth Games group at that stage. So, 
Yeah. Uh, other than that, I just I came back from World Juniors and had spent obviously a huge amount of money just getting there. I was at Teachers College in my first year at that point of a four-year degree and um, took an opportunity to, to go down and play for ASB Collegiate at their trials and managed to make a team. And then next thing I was in the New Zealand under-21 squad. So, you know, timing's everything in life and managed to take those opportunities under, um, you know, both Yvonne and, and at that stage Lee and Lee Gibson, uh, Georgie Salter were our coaches in the under-21 program. And, I just stayed in the game. It didn't cost you anything. Got a free pair of Adidas shoes and some three-stripe track pants. And, you know, life Love a three-stripe tracky. Yeah, you can't. You know, it all rolls back round again, doesn't it? <laughs> so was that the end of athletics then, or did you carry on with that? No, pretty much finished. Wow. I came back. And, uh, netball got really busy, and studying was busy, and I ended up... Um, Kerry Hill was my coach at that time, and... Oh, I just ended up finding I was busy doing other things and then it became too hard to go back. You know, it's one of those pieces when you're not in it and you leave it, it becomes difficult uh, to return again. So, yeah, I didn't ever go back and compete. Wow. And did you have any regrets? Did Because you, you said you were going to try and make Commonwealth Games or...? Yeah, I'd missed out on that 1990 Com Games and, and saw, you know, there's another obviously four years, there's world champs that go in between that. And to make up the margin of difference, and you know, you're looking at literally centimetres between first and fifth kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I thought, gee, am I really ready to commit to that? And what will it take? And I guess netball just got so busy. I didn't really rethink about it and just carried on and took the opportunities that were there and went, went with the under-21s and came back and played in collegiate. And at that point, that was a you know, the club bend on league competition and you played Fridays, Saturdays back to back and it just got really busy and I enjoyed that along with uh, the teaching and what was going on with college. So, yeah, you always look back and you wonder, but, um, yeah, I don't spend a lot of time in reflection. Yeah. I just kind of keep moving and, yeah, they were great. It was great opportunities and lots of lots of really good learnings in that time. Very cool. My guest today on Trailblazers is netball coach, athletics, so a, a junior athletics star, uh, Yvette McCausland-Jury. A quick break here on SCNZ. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Trailblazers here on SCNZ. I'm Ricky Swanell. Chatting today with uh, ANZ Premiership netball coach, Yvette McCausland-Jury, about her early life and, and athletics career and then that transition into netball. And then I guess the next step is the transition from playing from New Zealand under-21s with the Western Flyers and then into coaching. How did you? How did that come about? Yeah, look, I'd been coaching actually netball um, with the collegiate club since I was eighteen. I was at Teachers College at the time, and I think when you're in teaching, it's part of an expectation that you're coaching. So, had been dabbling away in every school that I'd been involved with, but the opportunity with the Western Flyers, our coach at the time, um, Barb Clark, she was fantastic coach but she left the district left Manawatu and headed to Taupo so the opportunity arose I was pregnant at the time um, I'd ruptured my Achilles and thought okay well I'd come back and played and thought no well I'll have a look at uh, putting my name in and see where I got to and was really fortunate and I think that's one of the great things when you live in um, you know small communities that sometimes opportunities come not necessarily because you think you're ready for them but that they approach so 
took on that role and was a bit of a player coach at the time. And um, you yeah, really enjoyed that. Had a lot of under-21 players. And so from an outcomes perspective, in terms of a win-loss record, probably wasn't amazing. <laughs> but I thought we grew some great talent and the likes of the Jess Tookies and Liana Barrett-Chase and uh, Kati Cooper. So we had, that was a really young group. Jodie Todd, we had through that time, the Burgess. Um, yeah. Sisters, so yeah, a really young group of players uh, from our region that we, you know, managed to bring through, and uh, including the the younger Cooper girls, um, Rebecca Cooper and Tammy Cooper. So they, a number of them, went on to play in New Zealand under twenty ones, and that was a real highlight for us to be able to grow young people through that domestic competition. The advent of what was then the ANZ Championship was when was that two thousand and. Eight, I want to say, gosh, yeah, yeah, I think it was, yeah. yeah. First, and uh, you, you went there, but you were there in the in the very early days of the Pulse, um, not that first season. But I think did you take over the second season, maybe or second or third yeah. season? What I remember those days. What were they like to be part of, where the Pulse oh, could not buy a win? It was it's phenomenal, wasn't it? And, and uh, you know, chatting with Narama and Kushla, who were coaching our our in and out team, Manoa at the moment, and reflecting back on those challenging times in 2009 and through to 2011 I was there but one of the great pieces that I found was we were were really a a great group of club players with some under 21 players and we were really up against it and so I remember the first win and I remember when we got two wins and they were all quite significant for us at the time but I think for me the learnings are are really about how you can continue to create a really positive team culture, how you can continue to get people to, to really focus on what does improvement look like for them and what will improvement look like for us as a group. And I'm always, still to this day, impressed with the fan base, mm. that no matter what, no matter what happens in netball for us and the Pulse, our fans are deeply loyal. They continue to just front up every time they always believe, even when maybe we don't, and uh, just keep on coming. So that hasn't changed. And some really great people, Cathy Doyle, you know, comes to mind as a volunteer who's been around forever and ever and a huge amount of work. We worked out of her garage in the back of Porirua, and that was kind of Pulse home base. Wow. Um, we did we did the merchandise. We got the poster ready. We did the fundraising. We did everything. And probably... Coming from a school team, it felt kind of normal for me, but it's really not that normal for a franchise. Yeah, well, because I guess the thing, it was there almost like a, um, it, it all sort of happened, right? And and there was this big competition. There was a lot of focus. And, and I guess that ready, not really that readiness to, to step into semi-professional and then on to professional life and, and the business of sport. That's right. And I think just that reality is we had players who were still working. We couldn't afford... Um, you know, to create the performance environment that you knew it truly required. And when I finished in 2011, I knew at that point if there was ever a chance again, and you never know in coaching for me to come back, that I needed to be fully committed. I was still teaching. We'd just started our um, school in Palmerston North, so I was going between programs, and we were all part-time. And when you give part-time, you get part-time results. So that really... We achieved some huge things for what we were able to commit to, but uh, knowing, you know, if the next opportunity came, that I knew I had to do it differently. Mm. Yeah, you, you left and you've come back a couple of times to the Pulse. What, what's called you back each time? 
Yeah, I love the game. I love the challenge. I really enjoy competition. And I think that often for me, I was really ready to... School's full on. It's demanding. I love it. I love the opportunity to make a difference for people. But I wanted to see whether I could return again and and be a different coach. I felt probably at that stage in those early years and... 2009, I was really a development coach. I'd proven I could take young players and, and get them ready for that level, but I hadn't really stepped into that um, next performance level with senior athletes. So that was a really big step for me. I'd been doing, whether it was Māori netball with Ikaroa, um, under-21s, all sorts of age group stuff for Manawatu, and at that point was with the um, NNL program. So it was a huge opportunity, made a commitment to finish school and move down to Wellington and make this um, a full-time job. So, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is when you create a performance environment, you need everybody in, and that included players. Mm. Uh, we were really clear. We didn't want people flying in. We want to be on the ground. We want to increase the number of sessions that we can complete in a weekly basis. We wanted them to have recovery and to really think hard about what are the key things that make performance um, environment effective? Doesn't mean you're going to win all the time, but to give yourselves the best chance. From a, a team that couldn't win a game um, in the early years, to the Pulse have obviously had great success um, throughout well, in more recent times. Uh, but there, there's always one that sticks out, and how what you learn from a, a brutal final like that one in Palmerston North, <laughs> which you know you're in your home region. There was a great crowd. It was an epic match, and somehow the Pulse didn't win it. What do you take yeah. from matches like that? I know you don't look too back, get too high, too low, but oh, that match was something yeah. else. It was, and, and I felt it. I remember um, Sandra Edge was assistant at the time, and I remember saying to her at the three-minute mark, we're only just holding on and we're not improving. It's like <laughs> it's getting worse, and you could just feel it. And look, the learnings, the debrief was long, um, and that wasn't with the players. That was really from us as a management group. What did we not get right? What are some of the things in the performance environment that we can improve on? And a large part for us was just around it's so hard to coach, but decision-making under pressure and actually feeling pressure, absorbing it and knowing you're going to be okay. And I think it takes many a time to be in that situation to really trust yourself. So that changed the way we thought about the pressure that we needed to put on ourselves in the training environment, uh, to change our thinking around the expectations are ours and what we set on ourselves rather than thinking externally. Um, you know, wouldn't it be amazing to win a grand final actually getting to a grand final is a really, really tough mm. thing to do. And then after that, you've just got to know it's another day, but it's not. And actually, instead of saying it's another day, it's not. It's actually a really big day, and it's a really huge opportunity, and it is really tough. And these are what these are the kind of responses we're going to need, um, and have we practiced that on a regular basis week in and week out? So really disappointing, felt for the players. They were absolutely broken. Uh, you know, you can go a whole year and they came so close and had it, but you never have it, do you, until the final whistle goes. So I guess, yeah, I've learned a lot over the time, um, but I'd like to think there are some things that don't change, and that is that you don't become a bad athlete all of a sudden. But if you don't learn and you don't put those learnings into action, then the same results will mm. continue to occur. Yeah, I remember this is, these hollowed looks and then you had the opposite with the steel, obviously, like just elated. I think that was, was that Wendy Frew's last match? It was Wendy's yeah. last match. 
and um, you know, wonderful for her because what a great stalwart yeah. of the game. So it was really neat to see. Um, there were some other real highlights that came out of that, but um, yeah, and a huge chat she talked about it the other day on in commentary, and I was like, yes, we remember that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what did what what did you learn from your time as Silver Ferns assistant at, at that Com Games in 2018, which was, I mean, probably one of the the toughest times that that New Zealand netball has ever had, and and you were right there in the thick of that. Yeah, yeah. Look, when you're in there, and I guess I mean you know what's going on in the outside, but you're somewhat focused on your own bubble. And um, I was really impressed with how the group managed it. They could, they were feeling the pressure hugely but really supportive and, and internally huge processes in terms of support not just with the team itself but with that whole Commonwealth Games village of New Zealand athletes so of all the places you felt like there was a bigger group of people who who got it at that point I think the challenge and some of the learnings for me I guess coming out of that is is really about how we continue to grow player leadership and not just that they're in charge of things but how we help them lead themselves through challenge and change. And that's been a big focus for us as a Pulse group this season with such young, uh, we keep continue to have young teams, but if you can create player leadership that's linked with, you know, management leadership and that real open communication, um, but, but a strong sense of where we're heading, that we're aligned in that area, I think that's become, that becomes really key. And it wasn't that there wasn't clarity, I think certainly for me, I was very new at that level, hadn't been at an international event before. I've, I've been at an event but not in charge of anything. Or, But um, but for me, there were also some real highlights. Our, the the defensive unit were the number one unit in that competition. Unfortunately, we just couldn't keep getting enough to, you know, to sustain. And our shooting went off and all sorts of challenges happened. But that same shooting group are the same group that, were there in the World Cup the following season. So they're not bad players. It's not that the plan was bad. It's just when you lose confidence, the gap, you become isolated, you work in a silo, and the gap becomes more obvious than the the connectedness. And we lost connections in lots of areas. Um, So, yeah, it was really tough. Mm. Made probably doubly tough by the fact that it was the first time a team hadn't been, you know, in that... um, top three positions but as we saw just recently the potential was there again that yeah. it can happen I think the recognition that netball has grown um and along uh, you know along the way I guess part of it too being in Australia so close to home the time zones there was just mm-hmm. ma- mass scrutiny was uh, how challenging was the aftermath because it it really did play out quite publicly a lot of change and there was a, a lot of sort of wailing and gnashing of teeth afterwards yeah I, I think for me it was really just about um being honest about where where things were at and how I felt about it and all I could do was express totally understand that people get frustrated but um, gee none of it was intentional Mm. the group who was shooting the most was certainly those that were close to it but it is what it is and I think you've got to be able to take the good and the bad and media is a really important part of our game and and equally you have to take the challenges and I don't look I don't have social media I don't even know how to operate (laughs) on the phone so I'm pretty limited So in some ways and I don't read a lot of things I, mm. I find myself busy doing other stuff so I've made that decision reasonably early that if you're not prepared to read the bad stuff then don't read the good stuff as well because it's 
you kind of just have to stay true to what is it, what needs to happen next. Uh, own the parts that you need to own, accept the responsibility for the areas that are yours and, um, yeah, keep your head up and keep moving forward because it isn't life-threatening, but it is um, life-changing mm. and it can be challenging. It's mm, great insight. Thank you. Um, we'll have a quick break here on SENZ and back in a moment with Yvette McCausland Jury. You're listening to Trailblazers on SENZ with me, Ricky Swanell, and Yvette McCausland Jury. Yvette, earlier on you mentioned a couple of names. Um, Yvonne Willery Lee Gibbs. You also mentioned the late, wonderful Georgie Salter and also Kerry Hill. And so these are coaches who were coaching you and are still in and around, obviously, Yvonne and, and Lee and netball and, and Kerry and athletics. How do coaches keep learning and keep improving and having longevity in the game? Yeah, I think that's the first part is that you've got to still be willing to give. And I look at, at the synergy between teaching and coaching and you're really in a service industry. You're there not for yourself. You're there to make sure that you can grow enough that you're constantly looking at ways that you can enhance um, and assist others in the goals that they set. And sometimes those are, yep, they can be mutually um, inclusive and, you know, as a team, individual goals lead to a good team outcome. But I think by and large, what I see in the coaches that have been around is they're genuinely there because they want to engage. They want to give back. They want to make sure that the people they work with um, stay in the sport. And I, I always think that when I see players that I've coached or been involved with, whether it be at school level or whatever it may be, that they're still in the game, whether they're umpiring or still playing socially, it doesn't matter. There's so much that you get from sport. And, oh, look, I read this great little piece the other day and, and, and then Sandra Edge had shared with me. She said, oh, I saw this bit and it was a parent who, gosh, how much money do you spend to keep your kids in sport? And the parent said, well, I don't pay for the outcomes and winning. I pay for resilience. I pay for my child to have experiences. I pay so that they learn about humility. I pay for them to be cooperative and all of these other pieces that make up um, how you are as a person and how you engage in society. And I think as a coach, we have the opportunity to facilitate that. So where does the PD come from? It takes us to look at ourselves um, really closely and say, what are some of the gaps? Uh, and from there, where can I find that support? And sometimes it's actually the players who help you grow the most. Sometimes it's mm. looking at other sports, other coaches. So... I think it's just a willingness, being open, uh, open to learning, open to accept that we don't get everything right, but, you know, we're willing to um, continue to learn and grow. That's really interesting, is it? Because, you you know, you so, particularly now there's so much opportunity in sport, you know, for, for, for young people to make a very good living. And, and, and it's yes, it's hard and tough, but uh, that almost sometimes, I shouldn't, I mean, focus too much on sideline parents, that there's a bit of vicarious living rather than all the other lessons that sport can provide. I think that, and it's just so great. I look at, you know, why do we still stay in it? It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a really challenging space. And so you've got to have a certain personality to want to be in performance sport and to be scrutinised. But I just don't see it like that. I just, I think it's an absolute privilege and I really enjoy working with young people. I enjoy the fact that they're so prepared to commit um, to, a, you know, a huge piece that has no guarantees. There's, on any given pay, you don't know what's going to come. And I think that's the great thing about sport. Uh, no one would turn on the TV or go and watch a game if they knew the outcome. And I think it's that it is, for me, a real privilege to be challenged in a work environment. 
um, I look at the players and I say to them, you know, how many jobs do you go to that every day you are getting assessed? When you turn up for a training, when you turn up in the gym, when you turn up to do anything um, out in the public, you're getting assessed. I said, some people wait a whole year to get a review and you get reviewed constantly. How lucky you are. <laughs> I'm, sure they, I'm sure they really feel that when they're lining up to do a yo-yo. Yay, we're getting assessed. Oh, <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> nothing like knowing where you stand, doesn't it? <laughs> and what about for you? Do you still have higher aspirations? Would you want to coach the Silver Ferns? I don't. I, I think for me, like, I don't see coaching as a direct, you know, curve that runs forward. I want to be in coaching involved wherever I can. I don't mind if I'm working with, and I've coached year fives and sixes all the way through. I enjoy the competitiveness of performance, and I enjoy that opportunity because it really challenges me. I don't see myself as the complete coach. Um, I always see gaps, but I also get to a point where I think, oh, God, I don't know if I can change too much. This sort of there's a whole lot that, you know, you don't want to be somebody that you're not. And I think that's really important. So I'm looking forward to the challenge of coaching with CG and coaching in a World Cup because I haven't done that. So for me, that's an experience that will be a challenge. And that will show me in a number of ways of, of how can I um, influence change, how can I influence and support um, the head coach in, a, in terms of, this is a this is a group of young people who have limited to no resource, yet they work incredibly hard and they're going to be at a world event and nobody knows any of that, so you've got to front up and compete. So I'm liking the challenge of that. From a New Zealand perspective, we've got two great coaches there now. They've got a proven record. They're doing a really great job in terms of that ability to put out performances internationally. And I think this next World Cup will be a, a real challenge with the next group coming through and, and rightly aware of the impact that we have as ANZ coaches in terms of our preparation of athletes for that program. So I feel in a funny way that you're coaching at that level anyway because if you don't prepare athletes through ANZ, then you know they're not going to be ready internationally. So I feel like we get to, um, you know, play both parts. Mm. I didn't hear a no in there, by the way. <laughs> you never say no to opportunities. Ex- you never know if they're exactly. going to present, and you don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you see netball at? Like, it's so it's amazing at the moment. And, and somebody else pointed this out at a thing I was at last year, where you know there's a, a real push and a drive around women's sport, and yet the women's sport netball doesn't seem to be in that conversation a, a, as much as some of the others, I guess, who are who are getting their houses in order, perhaps. Uh, where, where do you where do you think the sport is at on on a uh, on a national scale? Yeah, look, I think I think you're right. There's lots of um, we can make lots of assumptions that we've been here a long time and therefore things are going to stay the same. But if we don't change and keep evolving, then the challenges we get left behind. I think. We've still got a number of athletes who do choose netball as their number one sport, mm. and we're really fortunate from that perspective. And I think one of the challenges, and we're just working through um, with Netball New Zealand high-performance strategy going forward, and, and some of the challenges that we face, uh, I look at here in Wellington, uh, three years ago, even two years ago, we were the only semi-professional women's team mm. in the city. Now we've got uh, POA, there's the Phoenix woman, and there's also the Queen's basketball along with the Pulse. So there are, there are lots of changes for good, and I think for us it's about saying how do we develop our our youth, our young players, what are the competition structures that we put in place, 
who are the people that can make a difference at that level, and that's got to be about all of us, so we don't stay in our own our own realm. So I'm, I always really enjoy the fact that in in central netball here in based in Wellington, we get across our zone. We're trying to work really hard to make sure that we know the talent that's within our region, that we actively engage with it, and that we look to provide opportunities that are about growth. And that's from a performance perspective, um, notwithstanding participation is still you know, a massive focus. But I think for us as a game, we've known for years that the African nations are on the move and growing really quickly and have got a really diverse way of playing the game. Uh, certainly we look at England and Australia's competitions and they've been really open about having more imports into their competition. I think we've done well to hold just one per team as the cap and at the end of the day to continue to keep looking at how we grow our own players base and depth and that's got to come from a coaching strategy as much as about a player development strategy as coaches we've got the ability to have influence and impact and uh, the growth in that area is something that I think Nepal New Zealand has worked really hard to to continue to evolve. Mm. One more quick break here on uh, SCNZ you're listening to Trailblazers with my guest today Yvette McCausland-Jury. Thanks for being with me today on Trailblazers. We've been chatting uh, the early life, the athletics career, the coaching career of Yvette McCausland-Jury. Yvette, if you were like the commissioner of netball and I gave you that title and a magic wand, what what would you change? One of the pieces that I think is really important is recognising the distinction between participation and performance. And I um, recognise that through Sport NZ we've worked really hard to align uh, around loading and making sure that we don't move into performance too early. But I think we possibly, well, we do need to swing a little bit back in the other direction mm. and look at where are the other sports now, the loadings now, they're just going to go to another sport earlier. So we're losing some of those earlier connections that we used to have with our junior netballers and providing um, opportunities performance. And we do have kids who, yep, they just want to participate and they want to do a number of sports and, I think we can find that balance, but we do also have kids who play sport and are really competitive, and we want to continue to foster that aspect of performance as well. So that would be one area I'd be really interested in, us growing a little bit more, finding new opportunities for competition, even you know reviewing our competitions. We always want to get better. What can they look like? I'm always an advocate for Māori netball and ways in which we can engage more with Māori netball, and uh, how we continue to provide opportunities from that perspective, given, you know, it's it's a key partnership that we have in New Zealand, but I think it's something that uh, we haven't explored that deeply. So those areas that I'd be really keen on exploring further. How much does Te Ao Māori and, um, and I guess the, the principles or ethos of that, if those are the right words, uh, impact your kind of daily life and your coaching philosophies? Yeah, I think you, you look at, how you engage with people first and foremost and your general morals and values and they sit under that general guise of kaupapa. I'm not a affluent speaker of te reo Māori. My husband and, and my kids are and so I've been fortunate to be around that. It's still a work in progress, a, a rather large one, some <laughs> would say, but um, I think for me it's as much about how you think about being Māori and being Māori doesn't necessarily um, mean just speaking, but for me it's about um, uh, you know, it's a huge part of who we are as as a people, but it's a huge part of a co that we have as a base 
in, in the pulse. And it's, yes, it's come from an alignment with Te Wānanga Raukaua, but it's largely been about these are the values and our role is just to say, how do we express these on a daily basis? And that's just about being a good person. I think there's so many uh, benefits from looking at the principles and kaupapa and te ao Māori that really help bring teams together that really help govern the way we behave and the way we speak to each other and the challenges that we face and how we can work our way through um, elements of adversity. So I find it a really easy tool to use. I think it helps through manukura. It's a massive part of who we are and I'm surrounded by lots of people who are absolute experts in, in those sorts of areas. So I've loved the fact that I've learned a lot along the way and still have huge learning to do. Mm. Um, but that you can, yeah, just think about how you want to treat others and how you wish to be treated and creating an environment that's uh, really great to be in. Uh, and that's the ultimate goal is people don't, you don't want people to leave. You want them to say that this is where I want to be. Mm. You, you, you mentioned Manukura, your, 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 well, it is your school, effectively, you, you and your, your husband have established. Is, is it what we would kind of loosely describe as a charter school? Is that the a way to kind of describe it? Well, it's, it's a state school, so yeah. we're a, a state oh, secondary okay. school. We have uh, from year 9 to 13, and possibly the the essential difference for us is we don't teach in Te Reo Māori, so the classes are still taught in English, but um, it's a kaupapa-based initiative, and so everything's really about saying, how do we make a difference for particularly Māori, but it's not exclusive to. So there are, there are non-Māori who attend, but under a kaupapa Māori philosophy. Mm. And it's really about saying, if we are to change the statistics and we are to change the way that people contribute to society, our education system has to be a really strong um, player in that space. And so we we still teach NCA, we teach the, the curriculum, but it's the way in which we do that, smaller class sizes, yeah. um, the connection of people, um, small groups in general, we've, we've got a maximum role of 200. So you know everybody, you have the ability to connect, you know whānau, and you understand deeply what each individual wants to achieve. And then our role is to facilitate that process. And it's about, you know, little things like timetabling. Um, you don't put a timetable together that puts subjects against each other. You actually work with each individual and then staff are the ones who adjust and shift. Mm. rather than kids missing out on opportunities. Similarly, in sport and culture, um, there's no, you know, we remove the barriers in terms of finance and other challenges to make sure that kids can actually see their potential reached um, and that opportunities aren't taken away because they don't have money or they don't have things. So that's a really big focus for us is um, you change the way people see themselves and that they come out of this feeling really confident as young individuals then they've got a chance to be empowered and that will flow on into being a, a person who's contributing in society. Mm. Well, sports obviously a huge part of it, and, and you've always there's been mm. great success in netball, and, and your girls' rugby's flying as well. When 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 these kids are, are leaving at the end of year thirteen, what do you hope for them as you you send them out into the world? Yeah, look, you hope that, that the ultimate goal is that they're confident, that they know to ask for help and it's okay, that they will look to um, set goals and believe that they have the capacity to achieve that but they know that you could you do that with a big group that you're not alone and I think that's often a challenge we always hope that they continue to stay in sports and stay in education and continue to thrive but 
sometimes people take different paths and what we've noticed particularly with our young Māori boys is sometimes they come to it a little bit later and a little bit um, from a different angle and Nathan and I finished with Manu Kura at the end of um, this year. I head back at the end of the ANZ season and we're about to head to Auckland to um, reinvigorate Tipani or what was St Stephen's wow. school and we're really looking forward to that challenge and Nathan was an old boy there and he taught there for a while as well as an assistant principal and again it's a massive driver for us to say actually Māori boys are the most vulnerable in education, they are still overrepresented in so many ways but instead of focusing on negative stats let's actually get in and try and make a difference so you know, a boarding school where you can have 24-7 um, learning and opportunities and op- and chances to to really grow them and grow their belief in who they are and what they can add. Well, that is incredible. I did not know you were you're, you're coming up to the coming up here, but um, mm-hmm. uh, you guys are doing amazing work. Um, obviously, love your work with the Pulse. Um, we must have you in the commentary of yourself, and of course now, but anyway, um, and uh, even more important work with with our young people. So, Yvette McCaws and Jerry, thank you so much for your time today and for joining me on Trailblazers. Privilege. Thank you. Namahi.